yet another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the writers, directors, producers, actors, uh, costume designers, cinematographers, production designers, sound mixers, sound editors, film editors, you name it, we talk to them, uh, including composers and choreographers, too. Uh, but welcome, welcome. As you know, if you're listening, it's Monday, and you are listening to AdrenalineRadio.com. But if you can't stay for the whole show or you miss any episodes, don't forget you can log on to BehindTheLensOnline.net 24-7. Hear every single show that we have done uh, for seven year, over seven years now. And in addition to lots of uh, exclusive interviews you don't hear on the show, uh, movie reviews, trailers, and lots of other cool stuff. But uh, today, today, very excited about today. As I teased on social media to everyone, uh, today is, we're going ape. There, there's no other way to put it. And if you happen to be listening and watching on the AdrenalineRadio.com Adrenaline Facebook page, um, we do have a little ape visiting us today, Finley. You may recognize Finley from The Great and Powerful Oz. Um, he, he thought he would come since we're going to be talking with the director of the fabulous documentary, The Center, Gibbons and Guardians. Alex Asmi will be joining us at the midpoint of the show. This is a documentary. It is available tomorrow. We'll talk more about it uh, when Alex joins us. But I am in love with it. I am in love with the little Gibbons. And I have to tell you, anybody living in Southern California, I did not know this. The center, the Gibbon Center, is actually in Santa Clarita. It is in our own backyard. Uh, so we'll talk, we'll talk more with Alex about the Gibbon Center and this documentary, The Center, Gibbons and Guardians, uh, when he joins us. But before then... You know, it, it's musicals, mayhem, and monkey shines today. Uh, so we're going to start with with musicals, and then hopefully we'll have time to jump into the mayhem with my exclusive interview with Gerard Butler and Alexis Lauder talking about the action in their new film, Cop Shop. But first, let's kick off with what a, last year we had pro, The Prom. Wonderful musical made you want to get up and sing and dance well now we've got everybody's talking about jamie and for my money i would have to go with everybody's talking about jamie as being the better film uh the music is spectacular the choreography is spectacular it's inspired by true events and a young man named jamie knew uh this started as a musical show on london's west end and it then became adapted for uh, the big screen, or in this case, the big screen and the small screen. As everybody's talking about, Jamie is in limited release in certain theaters, in select theaters, but it's also, as of this past Friday, is available on, on Prime Video. It's a film you want to see. It is filled with heart. It is fun. It is enchanting. It is charming. 
And the basic premise is Jamie New, who's played by Max Harwood, first film role, first film role. Uh, he lives in a in a blue collar English town, and he he's gay. He's very open about it. He is secure in who he is. He is even secure in dealing with a lot of the bullies in his school. Uh, but his big dream, he wants to be on stage. He wants to be a drag queen. And he's got a principal that wants to push him for something more realistic. But Jamie is going to be undeterred in what in his dreams and his ambitions. And he is supported by his best friend, Pretty, who is played by Lauren Patel in her first movie role. Uh, let me just stop right here and tell you that watching Max, watching Lauren on screen, you would never, ever believe this is their first film. These two are dynamic on screen. Their chemistry together is fabulous. And then, you know, Max has, he really, he's taking the laboring oar here uh, because he is, he goes through a transformation, um, become making his drag appearance, his, his drag debut. And he does it courtesy of the local legend, Miss Loco Chanel, who is played by none other than Richard E. Grant. Which, in his illustrious career, this is the first time he has ever played a drag queen. So we have a lot of firsts happening here. Uh, Sarah Lank Lancashire plays Jamie's mother. Uh, the <clears throat> school administrator uh, is played by Sharon, the less than supportive school administrator, uh, and who wants, you know, be realistic. Don't dream, but be realistic in your ambition. It's played by Sharon Horgan, who I wasn't that familiar with Sharon until last year when I saw her in Military Wives, and she's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so anything you can find with Sharon Horgan in it, I recommend that you see it. But this is all about Jamie's journey. And his journey really starts with the most incredible pair of platform stiletto bedazzled and sparkling ruby slippers. He truly is. It's like Jamie gets to go into the land of Oz through his oh, with his own ruby slippers. Uh, the it is the film is incredible. Um, the musical, the choreography, there are dream sequences that could not be executed on the stage, but it gave the filmmakers a chance to really expand the film. The costuming is wonderful. The cinematography is absolutely outstanding. Uh, stage production director Jonathan Butterell, he directs this. So this is his first feature film direction. Uh, Tom McRae also wrote the screenplay, did the song lyrics. Uh, Dan Gillespie sells. Uh, wrote the songs, the scores by Sells and Ann Dudley. It is just magical all the way around. It's inspirational. It's hopeful. It's happy. And it is the perfect, perfect film to brighten up the darkest days. I had a chance to speak with Max and Lauren. They are so much fun. I adore both of them, and I can't wait to see where 
they go from this jumping off point of everybody's talking about Jamie. So without any further ado, why don't you take a listen right now to my exclusive interview with Max Harwood and Lauren Patel talking about everybody's talking about Jamie. Hello, Max, and hello, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I am so excited to speak with both of you. You blew me away with this film. I love every song in this film. I could watch both of you, especially you, Max, sing and dance for on a loop for days on end. Thank ha- you so much. I don't know how you guys are ever going to top what you have done in this film. Be- oh, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're only young. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep training. We're going to keep going. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. This is pure, fantastical magic. And it just makes your heart smile and sing. You did a great job, guys. Thank you so much, Cheers. This is, was the first big role for each of you. So I'm curious, what was it about this script when you got it? What spoke to you about each of these characters? For me personally, for, um, for Jamie, I, I love that this story uh, wasn't a coming out story. You know, he's already openly gay. Uh, he's living with that and he can, you know, he can match up to his bullies. Um, for anyone that comes in that says he's gay, he's like, yes, and what? What else have you got to throw at me? Um, I loved it. I loved his resilience and his courage. Um, and I really, really, really loved the music. That was one of the, the <laughs> big the big draws for me for the, to, try and, to try and involve myself with the project. And what about for you, Lauren, about Pretty? Yeah, I think that I've, you know, I've always loved theater and I've always loved film. And, you know, I'm like a, a working class Northern fan of theater. And to see a role that is like specifically made for like a South Asian girl was like so special. Um, and I just auditioned for it because I, I sometimes went to them for the experience. But I was like, obviously, I'm not going to get it. It would just be really cool to be able to like meet Jonathan Butterell, a West End director. And isn't that amazing that I would get to go and audition for him? And now I'm in L.A. with him. I'm like, throwing this film. <laughs> were each of you, were you guys surprised when you each got cast in this film? Yeah, yeah, I was so, I was so surprised. Um, still hasn't sunk in, really, and we've made it. <laughs> we're two years old and we're still like, I'm not really sure why or how or what's happened, but yeah, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> you know, any film is challenging with rehearsal and learning your lines and, and developing your ensemble and your chemistry. But a musical is, has so many more challenges. And especially for you, Max, not only do you have to learn choreography and music and songs and dialogue and be in character, you have to learn how to walk in stiletto shoes and, and evening gowns. Um, yeah. You know, what was, and Lauren, did you give him any tips on how to wear high heels and not fall? No, she didn't. <laughs> Lauren, please. <laughs> I can't walk in heels. I fell down the stairs yesterday at screaming because I was in heels and I couldn't walk in them. You're my kind of girl. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, what did this entail for you, Max, in particular, with these added 
elements that you had to master for this role as Jamie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was crazy, and we were lucky. I actually got cast about two months prior to starting principal photography, and I met with some amazing coaches for all of those skills that you just um, you've gone through, you know, singing, dancing, acting, um, and I met with um, Sean Niles and uh, choreographer, our associate um, choreographer Ryan, and learned how to do whacking and posing and walking in hills. Sean um, has been one of Kylie Minogue's dancers for years, so he gave me lots of tips and tricks about posture and um, strengthening my ankles and stuff like that. I actually trained um, I trained for two years before this in musical theatre, so my stamina and fitness level was probably um, in a really good place, um, but I'd never done hills, so that was just another element um, to add um, to the stuff. But no, it was absolutely, I was so here for it. I was I was I was up for the challenge and I was so wide-eyed and w- ready to learn and you know try new things and stuff that really challenges me. You know, I I want to continue to step into roles in the future that scare me and challenge me to do things I've never done before because it, it keeps it fun for me. Well, I have to say I think all the girls in the cast were probably very jealous because when you are made up as me me me, you are stunning. You are flawless. <sighs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I would have been dying. I would have been afraid to be on camera with you. You look so good. Oh, well, listen, we had we had an amazing uh, makeup designer, Nadia Stacey, um, who uh, gifted us a beautiful um, main uh, makeup team who looked after the makeup and the hair, and we had an amazing costume designer, Guy Sopranza, and they really, for me, um, helped helped to create this armor of Mimi and helped me create that character. You know, you don't, I wouldn't have been able to step on step without them guys because um, without all of that stuff, you sort of, obviously I'm in there and I'm giving the performance for all of that stuff with, especially with drag and creating a persona. Wow. Stuff adds to the, adds to it. Yeah, it's just absolutely stunning, Max. Lauren, your character pretty is so important on so many levels here not just because of the diversity involved of the diversity of the of the pretty and the character but also because of her being Jamie's best friend and you really have to be able to establish that chemistry so it's believable and what you give pretty is this beautiful heart of gold and Pretty's able to talk common sense into Jamie whenever Jamie is feeling a little tired and worn and wants to give up. And that's a difficult thing to do and maintain. So I'm really curious what you drew on in order to bring Pretty to life and make her the kind of BFF we all want to have. Yeah, I think that she, um, you know, it was a different situation because there isn't a, a pretty in real life. She's uh, somebody who's created by Johnny and Tom and Dan and the people behind the film. And so it was, um, and there was uh, some amazing girls who played her on the West End. And it was kind of just making, it, it, the thing is with her to me is that like her, her love and her heart comes before anything and anything that she says or does to Jamie uh, because of Jamie is because she loves him so much and you know sometimes she does she gives him some tough love and she gives some other people some tough love in this film as well but it's always because she wants the best for him um, and I feel like 
to be honest. Like, she's his absolute number one champion, and I was championing and rooting for Max throughout this entire film. It just wasn't going to be fantastic. So it wasn't that hard to... Um, you bring up some a really interesting point, Lauren, and that's the fact that Pretty is a manufactured character. Pretty was not a real-life character, whereas Max, you're playing Jamie, who is very much a real-life character. Did that, did, number one, did it give you Pretty, uh, did it give you, Lauren, more freedom as Pretty, not having a real person to live up to and for you, Max, did that put an extra onus or an extra responsibility on you in how you portrayed Jamie because Jamie and his mother are real people with real lives on which all of this is based? Yeah, I am. Um, sorry, Lauren, you go first. Oh, okay. And, yeah, your answer will be a lot more interesting. Mine is, um, basically, I just... Um, even though she isn't real, like, I read the script and, you know, she is, like, very, like, real to me. And, like, um, I feel like there was a, a different kind of pressure, but, you know, it's probably a similar pressure to what Max felt. You know, just, like, do the script and do the characters that are so wonderfully written justice um, throughout the film and having, like, the same creative team as the show as well was really, like, special because they lived and breathed these characters for like five years now and probably more than that yeah and i suppose um you know jamie jamie campbell i got to meet and i got to speak really in depth about his personal life with and my my only pressure was on myself really to be respectful um of him and his his story that like you say it's, it's, it's real they, these are real people and um I wanted him to I wanted him to feel like he could speak to me and you know that dialogue is open and continues to be open we have each other's personal phone numbers um we're in touch and you know I was I was really happy that you know with a lot of these films that are inspired by or you know a biopic of uh, people that have exist you know the actors often or not don't have contact with the people that they're, that they're trying to emulate so I was lucky that I not only did I have the documentary to watch um, as an outside perspective and to, to gauge his energy from what that documentary said about him, I got to go in really deep and, and meet the real person. And um, him and his mother and his, his nan Maywood came onto the film as um, consultants and they were on set every, every so often and were there to just be supportive of us. And we call this the Jamie universe and the Jamie family. And they are very, 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 very much a part, an integral part of that for all of us. Oh, wow. With both of you, as you've gone through school, Sharon Horgan's character as the year 11 teacher is very, very important, especially in this day and age, because we look to teachers to help guide us, to encourage us. And boy, she does anything but encourage. I'm curious as to your experience with teachers along your path. Did you have teachers encouraging you to pursue the arts, to pursue your dream? Or was it more like, no, 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 you've got to be more realistic and figure at some point you're probably going to be working in a factory or in your local 7-Eleven? I literally, um, I had both, to be honest. Um, I had teachers that were incredibly supportive um, and teachers that were um, trying to make me be more realistic about, you know, I think um, there's a quote somewhere where it's like 1% of actors that want to do acting actually go on to make a living 
out of this. It's incredibly hard, uh, hard career to choose, and or or it chooses you really, actually. Um, but you know, I and also going back to that, you know, I I think Miss Hedge would love to encourage would love to encourage Jamie, but you know, Jamie goes on his own journey of you know going from you know pulling focus and being the centre of attention to you know allowing other people space, and I think. I think there's a world in which Miss Hedge wants Jamie to succeed and and wants him to do well, but recognises that she needs to she needs to you know give him a, a reality check in the sense of that he needs to allow other people to have their space as well. And I think you know even through the film, Jamie does go on that journey. You know when we're mm-hmm. in Pretty's bedroom and and Pretty set, says, "Do you not think Miss Hedge has a point? You know if if you go to prom and you're being Mimi and being um, you know taking." taking attention from other people, is that really fair? And, you know, that that makes Jamie ask himself questions. So I think the relationship between Miss Hedge and Jamie is, in, is a lot more complex than mm-hmm. she doesn't support him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what about for you with your real-life teachers, Lauren? Have you, you know, what has been your experience? Um, yeah, I think I'm kind of the same. I think that I've had some fantastic fantastic teachers who have like shaped who I am I really do believe that like there are teachers in my family and I believe that they have such a big influence over like the younger generations and like such a a responsibility to like make sure that everybody's heading in the right direction and I think that definitely it was always like make sure you get your studies in and make sure you have that kind of foundation and and, uh, definitely like two different people can be creatively very talented and sometimes that's not treated as validly as academic talent I think this is this is a film about a journey everybody's going on a journey you're embarking into a new chapter in your lives as both of you are as well as actors so I'm curious for each of you what did you learn about yourself be it as a person, as an actor, that you will now take forward into your future work, into your future performances? I think um, the thing that I learned is that I can be absolutely terrified <laughs> and still And that's absolute. like, this was such a big, overwhelming process and I was so scared and but I still did it, and I still loved it, and we're still now we get to share it with everybody, and that's wonderful. And what about? Yeah, I think I think on for me on a more personal level, I um this real this I've I've sort of really grown as a person with this film. I've grown into my um my identity as a queer person more by meeting and working with more queer people, and um I've 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 really stepped into a really unashamed like an unashamedly bold place within that. Um, as a creative person as well, you know, I want to go forward and, you know, give voice to more queer characters that aren't ne- maybe necessarily coming out stories. Um, and, yeah, do, do stories that aren't that as well. And, you know, like Lauren said, a lot of this sort of last two years of my life has been um, navigating fear with courage. And, you know, me and Lauren both were so courageous in putting ourselves forward for these roles and, going on this process of making this film and you know on to our next films and our next projects that we've done since we've left Jamie that I think I just want to keep you know having really good friends like Lauren and 
um, creative people in my life to keep reminding me that I, I, I can do anything I want to do um, and that I shouldn't be limited by other people's opinions or perceptions of what they think I'm capable of. Well, the only perception I have for both of you is that you are both very, very talented. You have delivered an amazing film with amazing performances, and I can't wait to see what each of you do does next. I am. Thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to it. And I got to ask you, Max, did you get to keep the 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 red shoes? I I didn't. I didn't. I had to behave and not steal anything on my first job. Otherwise, who knows? I might not have been employed again. Don't want to start giving myself that reputation, do I, this early on? Nah, wait till your second or third film. Yeah, and then I'll start stealing everything off that. You know, and then take one or two, Take start with the little things that no one's going to miss. <laughs> and, and never put them on eBay. So you're no, good. Never, never. You're good to go. Oh, Max, Lauren, thank you so much. This has been a, a pure delight talking to both of you, and I can't wait till we do it again. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been lovely. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Max. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. And that was Max Harwood and Lauren Patel talking about, everybody's talking about Jamie. It truly is. Their performances, especially Max Harwood, you talk about a debut performance. Wow. A huge wow. Um, he is incredible singing, dancing, and the choreography on the film is outstanding, especially when we get in, when Jonathan, as a director, takes us into these dream sequences that he could not execute on stage uh, in the, in the, on the West End, but he could do on film. They are spectacular. Um, it, it's just a winner from beginning to end. And once you see the film, there's a soundtrack. There's a soundtrack, people. Uh, it, I can't encourage you enough. Get it. Throw it in the car. Listen to it while you're driving. Listen to it while you're running around the house. A great song from Chaka Khan called When the Time Comes. Um, but it's very... You like pop music? This is poppy. Um, this, is, this is my kind of, my kind of music. You know, 70s pop, even some 80s pop. Um, truly, uh, the soundtrack stands out. Incredible songs. Songs like Work of Art, Ready, Steady, Aim, He's My Boy. And all of them have, on the film, great visuals that correspond. So, just an absolute joy. Absolute joy. So I can't recommend it highly enough. See the film on Prime Video, still in select theaters. Get the soundtrack. You will not be disappointed. And now I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. Um, what are we doing, Pam? Who do we have? Oh, Gabby? All right, bring them both. Well, we have a surprise. Uh, we don't have just Alex. We're going to shift gears here, and we'll get to we'll add Cop Shop and Gerard Butler at the end of the show. But right now, 
we're shifting gears for and get ready for some real monkey shines here. Uh, because we've got Alex Asmi, writer-director, joining us, talking about the center, Gibbons and Guardians. And what's this? Is Gabby joining us, too? Yes. Hi, Gabby Scholar is with us. Hi. She, she is the director of the center. What a great surprise, Gabby. I didn't know you were joining, too. This is fabulous. Fabulous. Welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much. Well, I have to tell you right now, I am so sorry I couldn't make it up for any of the the in person the in person visit up at uh, the center. But now that I know you guys are up in Santa Clarita, I'm going to have to take a trip up there one day uh, because I am okay. Yeah, come visit. I am in love with a little gibbon named Violet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Alex, she steals the whole film. Uh, she really does. <laughs> I mean, she's such a, a, a rambunctious and very lovely uh, gibbon. Uh, she had both sides. One is very lovely, very funny, and very loving. And the other one is very rambunctious, and she seemed to be always causing problems or getting herself into trouble. Uh, she is She is actually the main actor or the main person or the main gibbon in the film. You know, and, and I get the impression she knows it, too. She knows it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, this this is uh, this center is so important. Um, as we find out within the film, you know, uh, for those of us that are not primatologists and don't know this, there are 20 species of gibbons. 19 are either endangered or on the verge of becoming endangered. You have five of the species at the center, Gabby, and you work yeah. with zoos around the world. Um and it's so exciting that you even in the in the film, Alex, you even capture the birth, uh, which I understand. I think it was Gabby who got that, you know, out one hour old new baby Gibbon image of Anastasia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gabby, you have a you have a career as a cinematographer ahead of you, too. Just just thank so, you. Just, I just, completely agree. <laughs> but. I mean, this is, where do you even start? Alex, how did you, because within the documentary, we can learn all about you, Gabby, and how you came, started as a volunteer, and after years and years, you are now the director of the center. But I'm curious how you, Alex, how did you find out about the center and become involved and have a light bulb go off and say, I want to make a documentary about Gibbons? Yeah, it's it's really an interesting story. I went there several years ago, yeah, and took one of the tours. The reason I went was actually with uh, my wife. She had a class assignment from her professor to write a paper on 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 the Gibbons, and I went with her and I took the tour, and I was uh, taken by the uh, the beautiful stories of the various Gibbons and how close they are to our stories. You know, there there is uh, there's relationships between the various givens. They love each other. There's hate. They stay together. They uh, separated. There's jealousy. There's there's the whole host of, of emotions along with the stories that go with these emotions. So that was several years ago. I had it in the back of my mind. I went there a couple of times just because I like the place. Uh, about two years ago, I went there again, and I talked to Gabi at the end of the tour. 
uh, asked her if she would be interested in, in, in creating a very short film about the center. Gabby was interested in, in principle, but she also wanted to, uh, wanted to pass the information about the Gibbons and educate the public about it. So from there, we started with the idea of having a very short, very short uh, uh, film mm -hmm. and uh, expanded to around 30 minutes. And then we uh, incorporated more and more stories because they were there and we felt it's, it's unfair not to include these very interesting stories. And that made it the full feature that you watched. Well, you know, and uh, Gabby, for you, it has to, when somebody comes to you and says, I, I want to do a film, I want to do a short film, and you write away, you very astutely, well, I, we, we need to incorporate about Gibbons themselves, not just about the center, but about Gibbons and about the challenges they face uh, out in the rainforest, in the dwindling rainforest, and why we need to preserve them. Uh, I don't know how yeah, many... Yeah, it was very important, yeah. Uh, there, because there's so much that we learn in this documentary without realizing that we're learning anything, which is, Alex, that's a mark of a good documentary when these little tidbits are sticking in a mind. But who knew that Gibbons... Oh, thank you very much. Who knew that Gibbons are responsible for... Because they, they're up in the trees and they eat nuts, berries, they drop seeds all over the ground and it's those seeds that repopulate the rainforest. So when the rainforest dwindles and is cut away, the gibbons don't have trees to climb in. They don't have seeds to eat and drop on the ground. So the rainforest can't replenish itself. You really get a, ver a simple understanding that anybody can grasp as to the importance of, of not only the gibbons, but the rainforest and the synergistic relationship that they have. And I love that you thought of that, Gabby, and you wanted to include things like that in the documentary. Um, and I just found everything you had to say absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Thank you. Uh, you know, but another aspect that neither one of you touch on is funding for a center like this. A lot of people I know in Southern California, they're familiar with Tippi Hedren and her and you know, her uh, wildlife situation for big cats and yeah. fundraisers and where people can donate. You guys don't even talk about that with this documentary. And I found that really striking, um, very human, and just... Yeah, I, very, I was very touched by that. That made me want to go check out the website and find out how people can give money and donate to help keep the center going. <laughs> of course they can. And we, we really just try to spread the word about just Gibbons in general and about the center. So um, people will find a way how they can help us. That, yes, they will. Yes, they will. Now, I'm curious for the yeah. two of you, Alex, once you decided you wanted to do a documentary and Gabby very nicely said, okay, fine, you can. Um, how did you go about, I know you were working with Michael Thau, who was a, a writer and the editor. I'm curious how you yeah. went about developing a through line 
Because you have multiple stories here. You've got the stories of individual Gibbons, family Gibbons. You've got sections talking about how they start each day with a song, with a Gibbon song, uh, and, how, and how they communicate musically. Um, we've got the, found, the story of Alan, the founder of the center, of the Gibbon Center. Um, all of these stories, and obviously you didn't know all of them when you started. So where do you as a filmmaker start with something like this yeah. um, to, to yeah. develop yeah. it? Uh, so yeah, if I may, let me just get back to the uh, question about the funding uh, for the center. So it's just really, uh, I knew about the center again, um, as I told you. But I was really struck by the uh, one the uh, the uh, limited funds that, that they have, and also the uh, the colossus uh, mission that they have, and how they do the work. There is like the people work there. Uh, there's uh, a total of three people. There's volunteers that come here and there. They work like extended extended hours. Uh, very. Uh, Sometimes it's very hot, sometimes it's very cold, sometimes it's raining, but the work never stops, literally 24 hours a day. Uh, so I was, was struck by the, uh, you know, by the dedication of the people that work there for the, uh, for the, uh, for the center and for the, uh, the Save the Gibbons. Uh, now, the second uh, issue about this story, so it's really very interesting. The, we learned some of the stories in the initial meeting with the, with Gabby, she mm -hmm. told us a couple of the stories, and it became very clear that that Balat is going to be the star. Uh, the uh, it didn't take any time at all. That Balat's name kept coming over and over and over. Everybody's talking about her. Uh, but then also there, there was another cast of very interesting Gibbons. There's, for example, uh, Nate. He's he's a young Gibbon that is upset that. His mom is attracted to, to another male that's not his father, and he's out there to screw up the relationship. Uh, there was the paper, the one that now starts to be singing, uh, a young female that gone through transformation after her mother's death to become the leader of the pack. There were many of these, these stories that, that, that uh, were very interesting on the given, given side. But it is also a larger society that includes not only Gibbons, but also people as you mentioned, there, there's Alan, Alan Mutnik. He's the founder, uh, a visionary man that uh, uh, always dreamed of having a given conservation center in Southern California. Uh, Gabby herself, her story is very dramatic and how she uh, came to be associated with the center in a very critical time of its life and, and how she, along with, with the other people, navigated the center via several challenges, several emergencies, uh, some are natural challenges, some are uh, uh, human meat. But altogether, some of them came very close to closing the center itself. And then uh, there's the other step. So the combination of, of these stories were really interesting, how we can tell these stories altogether and also make sure that the person at the end of the film is learning about the Gibbons and uh, the plight of the Gibbons and also what people can do. To, to help with the uh, to help with the uh, the Gibbons in the wild, uh, myself and uh, Michael Fow. Michael Fow is the editor and uh, producer and also co-writer. A very very talented uh, man. 
uh, we sat together and we had one outline for how the different stories will come in and out, what we're going to start with, and then uh, we'll go to the other story. Uh, but in the end of the film, some stories will start from the very beginning and end at the end of the film, and some other stories will come in the middle, um, kind of uh, uh, a complete story, but mm-hmm. in the middle in the middle of the film. So we had a combination of both of these, and we decided that the educational part, we will put it in the background. So as people learning, uh, learning the stories, enjoying the stories, they're also learning that they are uh, that they are threatened, they are endangered, and and, uh, and and based on that, hopefully they will take the next step to help the kids of the wild. Well, and how fortunate are you? You have one of the greatest primatologists of all time, Jane Goodall. Uh, Absolutely. In this film, I, I was blown away. I'm watching the documentary, and all of a sudden, up pops Jane Goodall. Everybody has to know who Jane is. Uh, of course, most people think of her with gorillas. Uh, as opposed to some of the smaller primates like Gibbons. But her message is the same. Uh, you know, it applies to, and not just to the primates, it applies to all of the beautiful creatures in the wild, in the rainforest in particular, that their homes are being destroyed. And they are such a vital part of the ecological system. Uh, and not just in the rainforest, but the rainforest produces the oxygen that oxygenates so much of the world and helps combat car- carbon dioxides. And so having Jane in there, that just elevated you <laughs> uh, and has to get the attention of so many people. How did you get Jane Goodall in this documentary? What did you do, Gabby? Um, we reached out to her and, um, I met her a few times, you know, during lectures, um, and she, we had a connection, uh, with the, she made a short, uh, video message before for the Gibbon Center and, um, but she's, she's just very, very busy. So we, we tried and, and eventually we managed to have a time when we can interview her between Thursday, like between two trips. Wow. And, you know, for you as a filmmaker, Alex, to get someone with the gravitas of Jane Goodall, what does that mean to you as a filmmaker that you can incorporate that into this documentary? It's really, as you said, it's just tremendous, tremendous impact. Uh, Dr. Jane Goodall, when we reached out to her staff, uh, we got the contact from, from Gabby. Uh, her staff was very responsive, asked what the film is about. And then we arranged for the interview. She was uh, here in Los Angeles in that time. Uh, to prepare for the interview, we reviewed uh, many of her books, uh, a lot of the articles, um, and, and prepare for the interview uh, uh, very well. Uh, when you meet her in person, uh, uh, Dr. Zengodal is uh, just just tremendous, um, tremendous class, tremendous wisdom, a uh, very down to earth, uh, just just was uh, uh, tremendous in both professional and personal level. Uh, so we got the material we needed for the film, but also like felt uh, very honored and very gratified to, to have had a chance to sit with her and interview her for that. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when you you and Michael were crafting the film and figuring out how you were going to intersect and, and interweave the different aspects of the film, did you know at that point that you would have interviews with Jane Goodall? No. Uh, so the, it really came into a half. Initially, we had the uh, film. We thought we completed it and it was around, was was close to 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and what happened is the stories kept developing, and we kept in contact with the center, obviously, and the stories kept developing. Anastasia got, got, uh, got, uh, was born, and there was a couple of other stories that we wanted to, to include. But we, we were not sure if we would do it or not. Once we secured the interview with Dr. Jane Goodall, then it was settled that for sure we're going to get the interview incorporated to the film and incorporate all the rest of the stories. So really the interview with, with Dr. Jane Goodall was the, uh, like the decisive moment <laughs> that we moved from it being a short to being a full feature. Wow. You know, some of the striking things in here, we've got some archival footage. I mean, Gabby, you have lived so through so much. Uh, at the center, at the Gibbon Center, not the least of which was a fire when Alan was still was still with us. Um, you yeah. and Alan stayed there taking care of the animals as fire surrounded the center from all sides. Um, I know there, there's Alex, you pulled archival footage in there, aerial footage of the fires of, of the region at the time. Um, and Gabby, I'm sure you have some some of the images that we saw had to be from yourself or from Alan. Um, you know, was it difficult for you to talk about those things because you're very candid about the challenges uh, of the center and when hardship like that, when disaster like that is impending, that could have been total destruction and doom for the the Gibbon Center. Um, is that hard for you to talk about, or is it is it more that it's important to talk about that, that the connection that you can establish with these beautiful creatures is such that they are a life equal to yours? I think it's important to tell, uh, because some people think that it's just, you know, you just go out and feed the animals, it's the best job you can ever have. Uh, it's easy, but there is there are always challenges and and fires. They can happen, you know, anytime. Yep. Um, in at least here in California, it's like we're just having another, uh, you know, fire season, and we always have to be prepared. And anything that happened in the past, we learn from it, and the next time we prepare better. So every year we prepare better for for like the next fire season. And, and, you know, there are other challenges. Um, just the loss of Alan was just a very difficult thing for for our organization. Just kind of have to figure out again what is our mission, what we want to do, and, and, and always just having the Gibbons in front of us because we do it for them. So anything that we do here, the, the main reason is just the, the Gibbons. And then after that, we focus also on education and studies and and everything else well just watching the footage i mean alex the footage is great i know a lot of it is yours as well gabby but wow you just watch these guys i could watch them all day long 
uh, people talk about anthropomorphizing uh, animals in movies. Um, you're not anthropomorphizing anything with these gibbons. This is who they are. You've got Nate, just like any kid, the child of a divorced parent or a parent, a, a widowed parent, doesn't want mom to have a new husband, doesn't want mom dating. Nate behaves just like a kid. Violet, the way she's yeah. sticking her tongue out all the time and just being hilarious. You know, little kids, they want attention. That's what they do. Um, also, the way rebuffing any advancements from a male, you know, turning your butt. That's That was one of the funniest things in the film. But all of these things, you know, the primates were here pro before humans. Uh, so I think the humans have been anthropomorphized from the primates, in all honesty, because you watch their behavior. And... Yes, we, we definitely share so much, <laughs> and our behavior is very similar. So um, that's true. Uh, you know, Alex. You know, you look at you look at these adorable little creatures. You hear them. Uh, you see their antics. You see the family structures, the dynamics, the serious nature of caring for them. How do you? How do you and Michael sift through footage? To pick, and you know, and Gabby, you must have even more footage of the Gibbons than they've even seen, uh, taken over the years uh, by yourself personally. But how do you even pick which footage to include? Because one one frame is just as good as the next one, if not better. It's like, oh my God, Violet's sticking her tongue out. Oh my God, Violet's you know mooning somebody. Uh, you know. How do you decide? Yeah, that was that was uh, this again a great reflection on the talent of of, uh, of Michael Fow, the editor. We he uh, we independently have gone through all the footage, in uh, in a lot of it is is very cute, and a lot of it is is really very very lovely, and a lot of it is very cinematic. Uh, one thing I just want to add is. The many of these very lovely shots, we only we could only get it because of Gabi. We initially had uh, shot the interviews and we had shot our own uh, our own footage of, of the Gibbons, and that wasn't enough. And then uh, we gave uh, Gabi the camera, and Gabi uh, started shooting um, again. A particular thing is that we asked Gabi to do. Like Violet, like Violet's relationship with the Truman, you know, within some guidance. But it's, it's Gabby who went then and did a lot of this, this very, very lovely shot, and a lot of the cinematic, you know, landscape. So uh, Gabby did that, and, and actually in the credits, you will see that Gabby is credited as the first uh, cinematographer. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. Did he let you keep the camera, Gabby? Uh, I didn't keep the camera, but I know if I'm ever I need it, I can borrow it again. Again, I'm in trouble here. You know, I, I'm curious, <laughs> you know, because Alex, you can tell get, tell Gabby, okay, if you can get something like this, we want to see this, uh, because she knows the behaviors, um, I think, better than anybody. Uh, so 
when what would inspire you, Gabby, to pick up a camera and to go shoot something? Because Alex is right, uh, your footage, so much of this, these these incredible close-ups, um, a lot of watching the family dynamic play out, very cinematic. You really, yeah, you really I, I are documenting them. You are very, I just very love good. Pictures and videos, and and usually I just use my phone or I have a, a smaller camera. But since 2006, I've been recording their behavior and recording different songs and different other vocalizations. And um, one is just for my own uh, research, just to study mm-hmm. their social interactions and their behavior. But um, I also like to share and people enjoy looking at and and uh, that's just one way to teach people about Gibbons. Mm-hmm. Um, what well, you know, and you mentioned something important, their song. Um, the yes. Gib- the Gibbons and their song. And Alex, I have to commend you on this because the Gibbon song, it is very musical in its own right. And then you get two composers, you get Ilsik Bayan and Federico Ferrandina, who compose score. And the score buttresses the Gibbons' own music so beautifully. And the score has the whimsy of Violet, the impetuousness of Nate, um, the the. The, the oh adorable cuteness of newborn Anastasia. And it, it, you, the score captures everything, but at the heart of it, it, it's piggybacking off of the Gibbons' own musicality and their musical connection. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts were when you were looking for a, to have score added to this film. Yeah, no, you see the the musical design for the film, uh, which is uh, Michael Fowl and myself worked on, uh, was really very, very interesting and took a lot of analysis by itself. There are segments that all what we have is the sound of the uh, of the Gibbons, the thinking of the Gibbons. And very often, it's, sometimes it's lovely and it's fun. Some other time is haunting and sad, mm-hmm. and we rely on these uh, to, to convey the moment in, in many areas. In the areas that we were not using the uh, the given uh, the actual given singing, we wanted uh, we wanted something to be reflective of the uh, reflective of the mood. Mm-hmm. The initial and it, it took several iterations of what instruments to use and when to use it and. Uh, what style to have. Uh, on the whole, uh, the end of the day, what really dictated the exact music was the story that's being told. Like the moment that the one that you mentioned, which is the uh, the birth of, of uh, Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the music is, is kind of lovely. Uh, it's thematic, it's consistent with the sound. But there's a feeling of it of uh, kind of an inspiration of anticipation right before we, we see uh, uh, Anastasia. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a child in, in, in innocent, uh, and intimate way. Uh, uh, Elsick did this part, and I, I think he did a great job, both of them, both Elsick and Federico, and the, uh, the uh, uh, music supervisor, Arthur Zeff, 
was also tremendous input into the uh, how the music plays uh, in the film. Yeah, the music is spectacular, but I love the fact that it does stem from the the Gibbons' own music, the Gibbons' own song, um, because that is so beautiful. Um, you know, and Gabby, you must know what every single song means. You can tell if they're happy. You can tell if they're sad. Uh, you can tell if they're mournful, if they're hungry. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they make very specific calls when the food is coming. They make feeding calls. And they are more vocal when they are super excited for something, uh, juicy fruit or something like that. <laughs> oh my god. Well, let me ask you while I have you Gabby, what what is the primary food for gibbons when they're in the wild versus when they're in at the gibbon center or at other zoos and centers around the globe? So, in the wild they mainly eat fruits. I would say 60-70% of their diet is fruit, but they also eat young leaves and flowers insects sometimes they catch birds if they find a nest they will eat the eggs and they are foragers so they just kind of eat throughout the day and um, here at the center we feed them six to eight times a day with different uh, fruits and vegetables different grains and sometimes mealworms or crickets hard-boiled eggs sometimes even uh, cooked chicken or some tofu uh, they also like nuts and seeds and uh, lentils or cooked beans. So we try to give them a very variable diet. And their favorite are fruits. So they just love bananas and papayas and apples. But um, the fruit you buy in a grocery store has too much sugar. So we have to watch their diet. And um, we, we we give them diet that's uh, nutritionally more similar to their wild diet. So they need to eat their broccoli and their zucchinis, and uh, they get a lot of uh, vegetables now, that are less in sugar and higher in fiber. Now, are they like kids who turn their nose up at broccoli and things like that and prefer... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are they're very bad sometimes, very picky, and they like the zucchini baked, and they like it well done. <laughs> And the broccoli has to be steamed. And still, we have gibbons that will take it, smell it, and just throw it on the ground. So, I'm okay. Some are better with their diet. I'm with them. I'm with them. Give me the fruit. You can you can keep the broccoli. So, yes. <laughs> you know what? What is? And you've got a veterinarian. Um, yes. You know. How is the overall health of the Gibbons at the Gibbons Center? Um, because we hear from the veterinarian throughout the documentary, but we never really, and you talk about, and he talks about, you know, caring for them and toenail trimming and checkups and things like that. But how is the overall health of the Gibbons? Overall health, uh, they are good, um, but we do have 37 of them. The youngest one is Anastasia. Uh, she just turned two, and then we have two older ones that are 39. Wow. We have uh, one of the 39-year-old, Shelby, has diabetes and very severe arthritis. And we just studied him, in, studied him on insulin, but he's been... Um, he's been um, on different medications, and uh, he has a different diet, like a very low-sugar diet. 
So, um, and we have a few other gibbons that have um, some chronic uh, issues. So they just definitely need more attention and more checkups. And um, we try to have a routine physical like every two, three years on the gibbons. Mm -hmm. They get their shots, they get uh, some vaccinations, they get blood work. Um, If somebody's not feeling well, we monitor them, we collect some fecal samples, send it to the lab. But overall, they they are in great health. But when you have 37, there's always... There's always something, something, and that could be also injuries. Uh, last summer, we have uh, one of our Gibbon broke his arm. He was just playing and, and injured himself. So uh, he had to take him to the hospital, and he had to have a surgery. He, in other words, he fell off the monkey bars. Uh, something. <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see when it actually happened. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, now, because Anastasia just turned two, um, mm-hmm. how, I've got to ask Alex then, because we see Anastasia as a tiny little baby as she's just a couple hours old. How long, when did you stop assimilating everything, Alex? And how long was the editing process and the scoring, pro- uh, and the scoring process to get this ready uh, for release? So the... Uh... So he as I mentioned earlier, it's fully we worked in the film twice. Once to create the initial short, this was around forty minutes, uh, which is, at that time it didn't include Dr. Jane Goodall, it didn't mm-hmm. include uh, the story of Orion or the story of Anastasia or a couple of other stories. That part uh, must have taken the shooting was was not uh, complicated. It's uh, again in big part because uh, Gabi. Uh, Took, took over this this uh, this part. Mm-hmm. She has a great um, great eye, but also she uh, knows the gibbons very well, and she knows the sensor very well. And that so the shooting was was done fairly straightforward. The editing uh, must have taken around six months, mm-hmm. and then the music uh, maybe another month or so, and we had it all together. So I would say all together maybe around nine months. Wow, the, the first. And then we submitted to the various festival, and we kind of stopped working on it for almost a year. And uh, and then uh, once we secured the interview with Dr. Jane Goodall, and we decided, okay, we need to go back now and do more interviews and more uh, more cinematography. Uh, that took another couple of months, and maybe another sure. six months. So if you look at it all together, it might be like two years, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a big gap that we didn't do. We didn't do uh, film creation work in that in that in the middle. Okay. Well, now we need a postscript so that we can see Anastasia now how she's getting along at two, and if she's gotten any bad behavior from being around Gibbons like Violet and Nate. Um, <laughs> you know, we need a follow up now. We need a postscript. Yeah, I really would love. It. Yeah, we need would a postscript. We'd love to do that. We'd love to do part two. There's so many stories, and but also other than the stories itself. It's so much fun uh, to go to the center itself. It has a, such a great vibe. Uh, it is a very lovely place, and it is just was a lot of fun. And it was very inspiring to, to work in the center and with the center staff, and obviously with Gabby. Well, Gabby, tell us, because we're almost out of time, but tell us, how can people come see the Gibbons at the Gibbons Center? I know they can log on to the website, gibbonscenter.org, but... 
how and when can they come to the center and meet and see Violet and Nate and Truman and Pierre and Anastasia? Yeah, we are open every Saturday and Sunday, and we do a guided tour at 10 o'clock. And for now, people have to schedule their visit, and they can do that from our web, website, the gibbonscenter.org. On the front page, they can schedule either a group tour or a private tour. And the private tour can be also scheduled during the week. Mm-hmm. And um, they can also follow us on social media. We always post pictures and videos. So they can sign up for our newsletter. People can sign up to volunteer. So there's many ways that they can kind of become involved with the center. Now, because of COVID restrictions in California, are you requiring people to, and because of the Gibbons, you obviously don't want them to contract COVID. Are you requiring people to be vaccinated or have a negative COVID test before they come? We are outside, so we haven't been requiring the vaccinations, but everybody had to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And we don't allow children... um, under like four years old because they usually don't wear the mask. They're just having a hard time with the mask. And under two uh, little ones, just they, they cannot wear a mask. So only people that wear the mask properly and it's an approved mask with no filters and went, uh, they are uh, allowed to the center. Yeah, I can just imagine, and I understand about the little ones, because I can just, having seen Violet on film, I can just see how Violet would react with a, if you tried to put a mask on her. That would not go over well. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you no. know, see, you picked the perfect time to make this film, Alex. You know, before COVID. I, I agree. <laughs> it was very lucky. I know. <laughs> Oh, my yeah. gosh. So what is next for you, Alex, um, now that everybody, tomorrow, tomorrow, the Center, Gibbons and Guardians, available VOD, digital, Blu-ray, DVD, Apple TV, Amazon Prime. Tomorrow, everybody can see it on every platform around. So what is next for you? Uh, so I am working on uh, another documentary in two shorts, uh, the two shorts on narrative and our documentaries. And uh, the documentary is about uh, that completely a different topic. Essentially, it's about how artificial intelligence impacts or could impact people in the future. Uh, it's a very interesting topic. It's also a very scary topic. Uh, yeah, the mere thought of that scares the bejeebus out of me. Um, so I can't wait to see that. I can't wait. And of course, Gabby, everybody can find you at the Gibbon Center. Uh, yes. Taking care of all these wonderful, wonderful little creatures. Oh, Alex, Gabby, I can't thank you enough. This has been just a total joy having you on the show to talk about the Center Gibbons and Guardians and all those cute little gibbons. I, I definitely <laughs> Thank you. I definitely will be reaching out to you, Gabby, to make it to come on up and and see them all uh, myself. I am just enthralled. Thank you. I am enthralled Thank you. by the documentary. Alex, it is it is entertaining. Thank you so it is very, very much. It's compelling. Um, you educate, you, you know, you educate, you enlighten, and you entertain all at the same time. Um, I love it. 
I love it. Thank you both so much. And Alex, I hope you'll be back on the show. Open invitation with your next with your next uh, I, docs. I am a big fan. Oh, I've thank you. I've been watching you from 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 uh, today early in the morning, uh, watching all your shows. But I also listen to you. Oh, thank, thank you, you. I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. And Gabby, anytime you you need a shout out or something for the Gibbons, just reach out. Uh, okay, thank I, you. I will be happy, happy thank to you lend so some airtime to our little our little friends. Oh, <laughs> Alex, you. Gabby, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye bye. You, you too. too. Thank you very bye. much. Bye. 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 And that was Alex M. Osme, writer, director, and Gabby Skolar, the director of. The Gibbon Center. All right. We were going to do. Let's hold Cop Shop for next week. Okay. We're going to hold my Gerard Butler, Alexis Louder interview for next week. It is. It's ten and a half minutes. It's already up on BehindTheLensOnline.net. On YouTube is an audio slideshow. And on all the digital platform. All the podcast platforms. So you can. No, it's not on the podcast platforms. It's on YouTube and it's on BehindTheLensOnline.net. I'm in Gibbon mode. Um, you have to see the documentary. It is it is just so much fun. Um, you're going to fall in love with these little Gibbons. So, and learn something at the same time. But, so we'll hold Cop Shop for next week. If you're anxious, you can go to BehindTheLensOnline.net or... To our YouTube channel for the audio video slideshow. You can check it out there and hear what Jerry Butler and Alexis Louder have to say about action. And working with uh, the wonderful Joe Carnahan and Frank Grillo. Uh, But And then of course, everybody's talking about Jamie. Fun, 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 fun. Music, dance, incredible. And that is on Prime Video right now. So, that is all the time we have. Of course, we ran late. Uh, Nothing new. And, oh, next week. Yes, next week. I have a question mark by next week. I'm waiting for confirmation on next week. But, until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 